is Boris's true ambition to be king of the planet. Why is Otter Lengi's food all garnished with pomegranate? Now, last episode, we were considering how many people catch a bouquet at a wedding and then actually get married as a direct consequence. Have loads of people written in saying, I caught the bouquet, and as a direct consequence of that, wouldn't have happened if I hadn't caught the bouquet, I got married. They haven't, although even if they had, I'd be dubious because I think there has to be a clear statute of limitations here. What is that? Well, I think, really, you've got to say, did you catch the bouquet and then within a year become proposed to? Uh, I think if you're saying, yeah, I caught a bouquet and 20 years later I met the man of my dreams. I mean, you might as well say, you know, everyone who catches the bouquet will at some point die. Anyway, it turns out there is uh, more than meets the eye to these misogynist bun fights. Uh, (laughs) Wayne in Cambridge has written in to say, I recently attended a wedding where the bride threw her bouquet. Before the event, though, there was a lot of talk amongst the female half of the wedding party about fixing the throw. No! Controversial, isn't it? I know. This is the kind of thing that should never be made public, Wayne. You're the Edward Snowden of bouquet throwing. (laughs) Uh, They wanted to fix the throw so that one of the bride's sisters caught the bouquet. She wanted her boyfriend to ask her to marry him, and they thought that if this sister caught the bouquet, then social pressure would force him to pop the question. Because that is such a romantic reason to uh, ask someone to marry. Social pressure. Social pressure. The thing people always say, isn't it, in the wedding speech, first met across a crowded room, but it was really social pressure that brought us together. Yeah, we'll never look back. And and also, if this man is uh, not inclined to propose anyway, I'm not sure the bouquetos would make him think, oh, actually, I've had a complete about turn. There was a lot of planning, continues Wayne, and the bride let fly. Unfortunately, the bouquet flew straight over the waiting girls. Ah, I didn't plan properly, did you? You no. should put it up a net or something. And into the arms of a young girl standing at the back of the hall. Did she get married? Yes, well, someone now must obviously marry her because that is social pressure. Can't leave her hanging. Um, I must admit, says Wayne, that I thought the idea of them trying to fix a blind throw was quite amusing. Well, listeners, I know you've been waiting on tenterhooks since the last episode of Answer Me This to find out the results of who's got better legs from knee to foot, okay. Ollie or Martin. Can I just say, before you reveal the results, and I, don't, I genuinely don't know, you've been collating mm. the data, right? Yes. Okay, Martin, do you know? Do you have any idea? No, I don't know. Okay. I haven't heard. So the audience have been impartially voting on who they think has got better legs. But, but may I just say, oh, no. and I'm not criticising you, Helen, I'm just saying it's a fact. It's not a good photo. The photo you put up of our legs, although I'm happy with the way my leg looked in the photo and I think is representative of the shape and definition that I am proud of in my legs. Yeah. I don't like the fact that the picture includes our feet because I'm just going to concede now if I've lost... Martin does have better feet than I. Oh, thank I you. wasn't saying that I had good feet. I was saying I had shapely legs. I was very specific right, on that point. Right. I think are some you, people are voting for Martin because they like his feet. That's nice, actually, and I appreciate that. I, I mean, I, I, looking at that photo, I thought both of our legs look pretty nice, actually. No, I've got better legs than you. Oh, well, I know, I know you would say that, but you won't. If you want to see this photo while I deliver the verdict, go to answermethispodcast.com slash legs. People have said such things about your legs as, I wouldn't kick either pair out of bed. Very flattering. That's nice, thank you. I'd have Somebody both. just in- likes to have pairs of legs in bed with them detached from the bodies it's a bit louis bernal isn't it uh, i'd have both and lick golden syrup off either saucy really? neither are good but the leg on the right is the best of a sorry pair well, fuck that guy <laughs> left wins best ladies right wins best mans so i can reveal now that the legs on the left belong to martin and the legs on the right belong to ollie see see that shapely definition and by the way i wasn't tensing to people who say that i'm tensing sure. and trying to show off oh, that yeah. definition that's just natural muscle that's there yeah 
Uh, you haven't had uh, implants or anything. Exactly. You can get them. They are a procedure. No. Martin's the one who's just got an absolutely straight leg. I've got a picturesque line, mate. It's like Heather Mills is standing there with I'm, me. I'm like a fucking Coke bottle. Uh, do you want to hear who is the winner? I think the world wants to hear, Ellen. There was a 60-40 split in leg oh. preference. And the winner of yes. the leg off, Ollie's legs. Yeah. But oh, a lot Thank of people you. like the right legs. Are they Martin's? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that I think people maybe voted for them because they thought they might be Martins? Yeah, and they didn't mm. like your foot pose. You gave really bad foot. So, as I say, I'm not claiming to have better feet. But, um, but yeah, I'm glad that the audience has voted for my legs impartially. And they're right. They're right to do so. Uh, so, which body part do you want to compare this episode? I think ball sack is the obvious next step. All right. I'll post a photo <laughs> answering this podcast.com slash no thanks. <laughs> Hello, Helen and Holly and Martin. It's Rebecca from Letchworth. Please, please answer me this because it's been bugging me for ages. What breed of dog is Gromit from Wallace and Gromit? He's a beagle. He is a beagle. Is that? Did you? Did you just? I thought he was a beagle. Did you really the ear shape and the snout? Actually, what are they still doing? Because I haven't seen any of their work since Curse of the Weir Rabbit. Which was great, wasn't it? I can't remember. It was dead good, that, I think. I, I think I went with our friend who had just broken up with someone, so he was quietly crying <laughs> around the screening. Okay. <laughs> At the storyline, because there's obviously a love, love interest I there. don't think he was paying attention to the right. film. Okay, that's a shame. Uh, but what they've been doing since then is um, a couple of spin-off like BBC series for kids. Yeah. Some of them are animated like normal drawn animation, aren't yeah. they? Well, of course, the, the problem is... I mean, and, and Nick Park's been quite open about this. They've, it's time-consuming. Exactly. They've always refused even offers from American telly for millions of dollars to make a proper, you know, 10-part, 30-minute series or even a 15-minute series because it takes so long that yeah. that would be years of work. It's not worth it. Um, so, yeah, the, the series that they do are kind of like teaching kids about science or something like that. So you get Aww. like a two minutes worth of Wallace and Gromit and then, you know, actors or cartoons or whatever. What does Wallace know about science? Well, he's, he's an inventor. Yeah, but he's, he's a bit ramshackle. Yeah. You know, he's a try it and see if it works kind of he's guy. He's not an idiot. He built a rocket in his back garden that took him to the moon yeah. safely and back again. Yeah, but he thought he's the moon an idiot. Was, That's yeah. something that took NASA years. Yeah, but he ate part of the moon, Martin. Well, of course he would. Yeah, you, you see, Buzz Aldrin <laughs> probably did as well. You would, you would, absolutely. Where are the crackers, Neil Armstrong? <laughs> but the other thing they've done, actually, is um, they've opened a ride at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the bleakest a, place on earth. Yeah, it will. Um, if anything was going to get me going back to Blackpool, yes. it would be to ride the Wallace and Gromit ride, which looks decent. It costs £5.25 million to build. Okay. I thought you were going to say it costs £5.25 to go on. I thought that was a very odd way to say that. <laughs> it probably is about that yeah um and uh yeah it's kind of it's it's more like a, a sort of disney ride in that you know it's not got many thrills and spills it's it's a slow moving ride around yeah. the history of wallace and gromit told in animatronic form that's cool sounds they, fun actually they could easily have a legoland style ardman land totally that would be quite great it would be good yeah yeah but again i suppose more expensive and time consuming than simply licensing your brand to someone who's going to develop one ride for you here's a question from drew helen answer me this why is sleep often referred to as kip as in, I'm going off for oh, a kip. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is how that word is used. That's right. Do yeah. you use it naturally? It's not one of those slangs that it's unacceptable to use because it's so put on. It's like you're in a Guy Ritchie film. It's, no, it's that's one right, that yeah. we, we would 
say something a that bit. the cockney say that we would say too <laughs> god Cape bless him the great leveler Cape uh, <laughs> is also the unit of currency in laos i was interested to read and it also means the hide of young animals but um it used to mean a tavern or a brothel places where you would go hmm. and lie down in a bed because taverns people used to stay over in them and uh, eventually it just came to mean the act of sleeping that you would have done in those places lost the meaning of having sex with prostitutes yeah well generally but i suppose euphemistically people could say i'm going for a kip with their partner and and actually that's really what they're up to yes you know excuse themselves from a party time to get some kip ho ho i don't think you go for a kip at a party oh, i don't mean literally as the party continues i mean i was imagining dinner party here where you're staying over for example or you know you're in a hotel bar time to get some kip but actually you're going to go upstairs and fuck I think that's an incidental I'm just application saying it can of it. Yes, yeah. of course, yes. That's what I'm yes, kipping can still mean that. <laughs> yes. You're like, oh, I'm off for a kip, and then you go down to the nearest whorehouse. <laughs> You've got a question. Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Here's a question from Rick in Manchester who says, I was lucky enough to receive a gift of Kendall mint cake from my mother-in-law recently. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Apart- she must like you. <laughs> Apart from tasting pretty vile, uh, he says, it doesn't really taste like that green mint stuff growing in my garden either. Uh, so Helen, answer me this. Do they use actual mint in the production of Kendall mint cake? And if not, what the frig is it? It's peppermint oil. It's an extract of mint, presumably. Yeah, exactly. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do they make that? Because uh, I asked this because, for example, I use chilli oil on my cooking. Yes. Here's how I make chilli oil. Uh-huh. Uh, chilli Jan- and oil. Jan- you put some chillies in some olive oil. N- no. Uh, in January, I go to the Christmas sales and I get a half-price Oaxaca gift selection of chilli oil. You're a winner at life. Which you can buy in boots for £10, but in January it's a fiver. I only eat things I buy in boots. Um- <laughs> <laughs> she says, frothing at the mouth. Yeah, it's great. If you just drop a couple of Nurofen in, it's delish. Um, but anyway. Broker for pudding. Um- <laughs> Uh, and then I top it up with olive oil throughout the year so that my oil becomes infused with the chilli that's in there. But I didn't know if what it was really right from the beginning was just olive oil and chilli. Is that really all it is? There's no essence going on. They've just put some chilies in some oil. Well, there's capsaicin, and that's a waxy substance, so you need an oil to draw that out, really. See, I had no idea what he just said. It's what he said is right. Oil got chilli in it, Ollie. How do you make mint oil? Do you just put mint in oil? That's my question. No, it's a more sophisticated process right. to extract the oils that are in the plant. So it's like the oil that comes off in your fingers when you rub the plant together? Yeah. Right. It's, it's the extract. In fact, Kendall Mint Cake is a very pure product. The only ingredients are sugar, glucose, obviously that is refined. That's sugar, yeah. yeah. Uh, water and peppermint oil. Um, it's all sugar though isn't it yeah and did i mention sugar yeah a fuckload of sugar yeah but and water healthy water (laughs) (laughs) it's almost impossible to avoid water and foodstuffs isn't it it's possible actually that people listening to this around the world have not heard of kendall mint cake right uh, because as parochial disgusting foodstuffs go (laughs) it does travel i mean of course um, but probably most of our listeners in the usa for example won't have heard of it so well it's like it's like tablet outside of scotland isn't really available what is tablet tablet is like kendall mint cake without the mint oh god even worse it, what's it just sugar then well it's sort of like fudge but i think a bit less condensed milky all fudge can go fuck itself you've, you you've made your feelings on fudge known before it's worth and saying the again. fudge is busy fucking itself People... in the corner uh yeah kendall mint cake is like um oh yeah that. it's like a little brick 
made out of sugar. sugar. It's like a peppermint cream if you've ever made one of those. Yeah, or like fondant that. out of the middle of a cream egg that's gone hard. And the branding was very clever because all along they've sort of suggested that it has medicinal qualities. They say if you're oh. stuck up a mountain like in Kendall where it's from, <laughs> then you can have this sugar boost. And that's the yeah. branding that still now people associate well, with it. This is because um, it was obviously it's it's a very compact source of calories. But when Sir Edmund Hillary did his successful expedition to the top of Everest in 1953, uh, he took Kendall Min cake with him, and after that, it was the uh, mountaineers' celebrated food yeah, of choice. But you know, I don't know. When when Olympic swimmers won their gold, they came to the podium wearing Beats earphones. Yeah, it doesn't mean <laughs> the two things are connected, does it? It's just product no. placement. Here's a Kendall Mint cake fact that I think you will enjoy. In New York. Customs banned Kendall mint cake because they said a product called cake had to have cake in it. And so. <laughs> Keeping America safe. A shipload of Kendall mint cake was dumped in the Atlantic in the 50s. No, really? Yeah. Was that the famous uh, Boston Kendall mint cake party? <laughs> the New York mint party. And yet they're able to sell Coca Cola there as a vegetable drink. I mean, this is the ridiculous <laughs> yeah. double standards. Other fun Kendall mint cake fact. Uh, it was one of those foodstuffs that came about by accident because in 1800 and something, someone was trying to make. Glacier mints in Kendall, you know, those clear boiled sweets, mm. and uh, left it on the stove too long and it turned into Kendall mint cake. Uh, but Whoops. then, presumably, obviously, at that point, didn't have chocolate wrapped around it. No, chocolate is a later addition to the canonical mint cake. But do most of them now get sold with chocolate around it? No, uh, there's white mint cake, which is made from white sugar, brown mint cake, which is made of brown sugar, and then chocolate-enrobed mint cake. Here's another question of cake now from Amy and Simon in Ealing. Uh, they say, during our recent holiday to Cornwall, we had four afternoon teas. On one day. <laughs> yeah, I think not knowing how long you were there for is, you know, make it difficult to judge whether that's just excessive. So, Helen, answer me this. Who eats all the leftover cake at the end of the filming of The Great British Bake Off. Uh, we were defeated by even a small assortment of cakes and scones, uh, despite both of us having like... That's right, I say scones. Yeah, I say scones. Deal with it. We're, we're scones people here. Uh, despite both of us having large appetites, we just couldn't manage it. Uh, Simon thinks the crew eat the cake. Makes sense. But in the first episode of the new series of The Great British Bake Off, there were 36 tiny cakes per contestant, and there were 12 contestants. 36 times 12. Is it 432? I think that they give the cakes to the stately home. Uh, so, Helen, answer me this. Who eats all the cake? Crew. The crew there is massive. It's over 60 people, mm. because you've not only got the normal TV crew of like producers, assistant producers, researchers, runners, runners who are being sent to the supermarket to pick up more ingredients, sound, light, makeup, people doing the washing up, paramedics, mm. health and safety. They've got six cameras, which is a lot for that kind of show. Mm. They've also got home economists on the team, because they need to be backstage like checking everything works like you've got to have people who know how to make tv programs and also people who know how the food works they're also filming over a weekend so there are dozens of people working i reckon they could get through those cakes so i think the greater question is how do paul hollywood and mary berry face eating like the, the contestants they're making sort of three different challenges each so how do they face tasting mm. 36 or more cake samples she's tiny how does she eat 36 cakes a weekend and say so slim <laughs> do you think she's got cake bulimia is that what you're saying no 
it's possible though, no isn't it? i think she's just got mind over matter honed to the extent that the cake is not going to dare stay on her bones is it like t- like whiskey tasting where they just spit the cake into a bin afterwards yeah, if probably. it was i'd rather watch that very very shooting cake at a target with her mouth <laughs> yes that that's what the spin-off show presented by joe brand should be on the one hand i can see the argument that it's a great temptation to be around cake all weekend mm. be filming cake and thinking oh i want a bit of that and as soon as it's finished you're gonna think right i'm gonna eat that bloody cake now yeah. on the other hand actually if you're around that much cake it probably loses its lure a bit like working on pornography you know people say that same isn't it yeah, yeah you no don't longer want to eat any cake, cake when you're working on pornography exactly. it's <laughs> dirty do you know what i mean you're not in the mood for anything sugary well i find when i've been cooking a lot i don't want any of it mm. i just want to be far away from it mm. maybe because the smells already create the experience somewhat well, some people who work in a sweet shop you know tend not to eat sweets for fun well because otherwise they'd be dead but i just don't think it's that implausible that most of the cake would get eaten and some of the crew would take bits home and some of it would get thrown away. And some of the contestants would take bits home. You know, you've just been there all day. You want to say, Mum, this is what I've been doing this weekend. Try the, my yeah, cake. The contestants must eat a bit of each other's cakes yes, so exactly. they can slug them off backstage. I mean, they're all, they've been through an auditioning process to see these are people who are really into cake. You know, oh, yeah. of anyone, if you're going to choose a sample group of people who might want to eat cake after making cake, yeah. it's those people. Imagine if you turned up and they said, so, do you like cake? And you went, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Now, you're actually getting into this series of uh, GBBO, <laughs> well, as I refuse to call it, because I'm not a prick. <laughs> Gbobo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've only seen one episode so far, but I've forsworn it, the previous few series, because... I like shows like Ace of Cakes where they're making a massive, really intricate animatronic cake. Yeah. That's difficult. I yes. could not do that. Correct. Bake Off, hitherto, they've been making just ordinary cakes. And I think, well, where's the mystery in that? I, I'm capable of that. Whereas now they're doing things that are a lot fancier. And I think, all right, all right, they've got some game. Cake for me is something where I don't want the mystery explained. To me, it's a bit like The Masked Magician. You know, I, just, mm. I want cake to be a thing that I casually eat. And I think, oh, fancy a bit of cake. Now, I don't want to think about the work that goes into it. That no. doesn't make it taste better to me. No, to me, cakes and also close-up magic and stunts are not diminished by knowing how they're done. If anything, my wonder only increases by knowing the process. As with all of those cases, you want to replicate the process. I'm very good at stunts. <laughs> <laughs> I personally can't bear the show. I mean, I've not sat and tried to watch it properly. Is it all the pastel colours and the bunting? It's the unbearable mock drama lightness of it of all. Being. The unbearable lightness of baking. That would be a good alternative <laughs> and that, title and for the it. awful music. There's always there's this piece of music that, that crap TV uses, which is just like one chord and which is meant to generate tension. It's the tension. And, it's so and I don't have any tension. No. You know, Will Claire's brownie right? Don't care. Don't yeah, care. It's just a brownie. No one's going to die. Yeah, exactly. Brownies are easy. It's living that's hard. <laughs> Apparently, um, Mel and Sue, they're keeping an eye on the contestants because they can get a bit blind to the task they're doing, which is just making cakes. It's not important enough to cry and have a breakdown over. Mm. So if someone's looking a bit breakdowny, they'll go up to them and swear a lot so that the footage of them talking to them doesn't make it onto the show. <laughs> so it's like having a private conversation, but in the middle of this live shoot. That's a good, that's that's a good clever, clever, isn't sweet, a bit isn't of technique. It? Um, have you ever bought something specifically because you've seen an ingredient be used on a cookery program? Absolutely not. If anything, that would make me think, too predictable. It's over. That. It's over. It's like when I was a teenager and I was like, I'm not going to listen to music that other people I know have heard of. Yeah. Well, this is the thing with Great British Bake Off now being on BBC One. They're talking about it in terms of the Delia effect. You know, yeah. when Delia first used cranberries, they went off the shelves or whatever, or North, yeah. or North Wales sea salt. There was an omelette frying pan that That's disappeared right. off the shelves. Yeah. They're uh, saying, and and they're saying this year they they, they. The, the PR person for the Great British Bake Off yeah. is saying this year dried raspberries is it freeze dried raspberry and strawberry powder powder yeah because apparently the first time they had to get freeze dried raspberries for one of the contestants they had to pick them out of a box of special K because you couldn't buy them in isolation <laughs> I mean I suppose it's nice that it does widen people's experience of how they cook but it is kind of a bit sad that everyone wants to do it just because it's been on the telly all at the same time everyone wants to join in though everyone wants to join in with things I don't. <laughs> 
Uh, apart from Helen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, surely you'd want to be a part of Mary Berry's lemon curd surge, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is that the after watershed version? <laughs> <laughs> she used it on her TV series, apparently, and there was a surge in lemon curd purchasing. Curd surge. Curd surge. <laughs> Hashtag curd surge. Well, I'm no longer so worried about rising sea levels. <laughs> on that delightful note, it's time to take a little tea break with today's intermission from Answer Me This, episode 169, available along with all our other archive episodes and albums and stuff from answermethisstore.com. Angel says, regarding the waxworks in Madame Tussauds, mm. uh, Tussauds pride themselves on almost 100% accuracy. If they could breathe, <laughs> they would be real. But uh, Helen, answer me this. Does that mean Tussauds mould everything, even the genitals? Oh, yes. And uh, after normal opening hours, you can go back there and they take all of the statue's pants off and you can have a little go. (laughs) I wonder if that would uh, increase corporate bookings, you know, if you consider stride Johnny Depp. I know that with men, they have a special uniform mould where their private parts would be so that the trousers hang properly. So every celebrity in Madame Tussauds has has the same same sized penis. Yes, Michael Jackson, George W. Bush, Johnny Depp, they've all got the same number. That's a wonderful sort of... Democratic... Utopia, isn't it? Isn't it, yeah. yeah. Where everyone's just the same, same size penis, same size balls. It's less interesting than actually seeing the true variety of uh, shape and size. diaspora, if you will, of celebrity (laughs) genitalia. Well, stick this in your pipe. It's a question from Skype. Uh, Someone has dialed, (laughs) answer me this using Skype. Uh, Or equally, they could have called us if they had the number to do that would be this. 020812358877. And let's see what they've said. Let's hear what they've said, Ollie. And let's hear what they've said. It's David, originally from London, but now in ridiculously sunny Moscow. Um, last night, I went to see a wonderful ballet production of The Nutcracker, and it left me with a fairly, uh, I suppose, obvious question, which is why did ballet develop as an art form? I mean, I can understand how we went from spoken stories to written stories to things like plays and, and, uh, and, and films and obviously TV and uh, podcasts. But um, how... Did ballet in itself come about as an art form? A lot of things happened, David, before people had telly to entertain them. <laughs> and uh, this is just one of those. Yeah, but it still goes on now, doesn't it? People oh, very yeah. into their dance. Not many, it has to be said. Well, that's the thing. It is marginal and it's so expensive. But generally. it's, well, OK. And it's so difficult to do. Aren't both of those things slightly untrue, though? Like, it's marginal, sort of. But then if you look at things like Cirque du Soleil, which are the biggest tourist attraction in Vegas and tour their shows all over the world. And not ballet. Or, well, or you look at something like So You Think You Can Dance or Britain's Got Talent. Not ballet. Well, you say not ballet. There are elements of ballet incorporated into it. Elements? Yeah. Elements? So, so it's not completely, like, marginalised and uninteresting to people uninteresting to me but not to most people <laughs> uh, or like cats for example you know massive musical but really a dance musical with a lot of ballet style movement but in it. ballet style is not ballet yeah, the purists not gonna be happy with cats well, well, and also i take issue with the fact that you say it's expensive you can go get a ticket for saddler's wells can't you for 25 quid yes but then you're watching something like matthew bourne which i have watched in saddler's wells for 11 quid but ballet purists again be like, oh there's a bit too much jazz in this I've seen a Matthew Bourne thing as well. I saw Play Without Words. You see that one? Seen that. No, I saw The Nutcracker and also Sleeping Beauty. I've not seen The Nutcracker. Maybe I should go and see one of the traditional ones. I know that he puts his own spin on it, it's but at least it's a traditional. Uh, yeah, but at least it's the music is recognisable. Whereas Play Without Words, 
um, that was a play. Right, and, without words. And I just, yeah, and its lack of words just made me drift off a bit. Yes, well, here's the thing. I always feel like ballet is beautiful and impressive physically, but it's a language that I don't speak. Yeah. Which is a bit of a shame. My thought watching it is... Wow, I could never do anything like this. Yeah, I think that's, but, that's right. Very obvious. I'm to play devil's advocate yeah, on this one. No, but also, is it worth it for those dancers to devote so many decades of their lives to training when they might not make it and physically ruining themselves? Because dancers have a lot of joint problems mm. and bone problems. Art shouldn't be about technique. If you want to see good technique, you can go and watch athletics. Why shouldn't art be about technique, Mark? Because it's about expression. That's only one component but of it. But can you express without the proper technique? This yeah. is what a lot of people would say about the abstract artists. And you've just made a good comparison there with gymnastics. I actually yeah. weirdly love watching gymnastics yes, on the telly. Too. Yeah. And maybe that is because I understand it. And it's not actually, trying to tell a story. Yeah, but actually ballet is. So actually I should love it more because I love watching bouncy people being bendy. In fun costumes. Um, and so why not do that whilst they're also telling the story of the, uh, the Capulet? You know, uh, but somehow I don't relate to it. I know that there are people who are listening to everything we're saying and think we're Philistines and we don't understand. You're probably right, but I sort of don't care. Anyway, ballet and opera kind of sprung up at the same time, uh, which was 15th century in Italy. It was like a spectacle in the courts. Noble men and women had pretty much fuck all to do. And uh, so they would watch and participate in these these big extravaganzas, which included dance and music and poetry. And I think even painting at the same time. And um, Catherine de' Medici thought this was so amazing. When she married Henry II of France, she launched ballet there. Like She was funding ballet for the French court. And um, it was meant to be based on the social dances of the courts, which is why there's a lot of like these rigid upper arm movements and very set patterns in which they move. And then it became like a social requirement. So the nobles were all learning how to do it. And uh, in fact, Louis XIV, he was a, a major player in ballet because he danced a lot of the roles himself mm. and made it hugely popular bet it was a bit shit though bet compared to a you know if you were having a meritocratic auditioning process he wasn't really that good yeah but if you could get beheaded for not casting him you probably would wouldn't you well the same thing happens with celebrity casting now doesn't it just get a good support cast Lindsay Lohan fine you know, we'll get someone from the RSC to play her husband. Be all right. Yeah, with Speed the Plough, they just need an understudy that is never ill. Because that understudy, <laughs> in fact, this is the best understudy role there has ever yeah, been. Yeah, Even yeah. better than understudying Martin McCutcheon in My Fair Lady. You are gonna, your career is gonna be made off this. If you do find yourself watching a ballet and you do find yourself, if you being, just wake up and you're like, shit, there's a ballet right in front of me. How did I get here? <laughs> if you're there, uh, how do you keep yourself entertained in a boring? theatrical event well it's not necessarily boring it's just well let's say it is right but i'm asking you even if it isn't like like at gigs especially gigs where there aren't words yes i do tend to drift off me too and even if i'm really enjoying a gig i kind of want to know how long i've got to enjoy it for exactly so what do you do well often i plan patchwork in my head i went to quite a boring bill callahan gig at the royal festival hall it was really tedious why was it so boring Oh, it was Have like... song turned into like a 15-minute jam with the worst guitar solo that you can imagine? Mm. This is why Barry Manilow was good. Three and a <laughs> half minutes in, out, change your costume. Yeah. Still take Bill Callahan over he Barry Manilow. He didn't change costumes once. Uh, but I was planning <laughs> patchwork the whole time. I do sometimes think ahead to my week. Because um, I'm someone who tends to diarise paper and pen diary. I've got to file the facts. So I can visualise it. I don't need to get my phone out of my pocket. Mm. If I'm very bored and someone's doing a song that I don't know... Uh, I can just think, I can actually visualise it. I've got Thursday on the right-hand side of the page. What's happening after four o'clock? God, Where am I going to get a everything coffee? Everything is wasted on us, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it? It really depends, though, on whether I'm sitting down or not. If I'm standing yes. up and I'm bored, I just, I'm just only thinking about how I hate the world and I want to go home. But even yeah. shows that I like that have a ballet bit, Yes. the ballet bit is the boring bit. 
So, like, mm. for example, a chorus line, which we went to see at the London Palladium. Oh, yes. Everything oh, that- was beautiful, beautiful at the bat. Fucking hell, it goes That's on forever. <gasps> so boring. And so during that bit of a chorus line, the rest of the show I completely enjoyed. I thought they did that number very well, actually, and Still I hate did it that well, song. But yeah. it's ballet. During that number, um, I actually tried to visualise all of the songs that I remembered <laughs> from a chorus line and tick them off. That I can do. <laughs> I thought, what's left? What's left to come? And I was like, oh, it's all right. What I did for love is around soon. How does that one go again? Let's see if I can remember the tune whilst I'm hearing the tune to this boring one. I think the odd thing about that particular experience was that we were sat in the front row because they hadn't sold very well in a massive theatre. We could see up the gusset of the chorus line. Well, sweaty gussets. And also you could hear all the thumping because part of the attraction of ballet is it looks uh, like these people are defying gravity. Yeah, you're absolutely when right, you yeah. can hear this kind of... <laughs> it changes things. It did. And I know yeah. that you can't help it because that's what humans jumping sounds like. Mm. It was it wasn't much of a promotion because we, we went to the Palladium. It was half empty. Their tone was almost like, "Well, congratulations, you've got the cheapest seats, but you're going to be in the front row." You know, neither well, we of moved us... you to row AA or whatever it was. Neither called. of us ever want to be in the front row no. of anything ever. <laughs> exactly. They might yeah. ask us to come on stage. <laughs> that would a comedy been... gig. They don't go. Uh, so what are you in for? <laughs> that would have been a novel twist on the format of a chorus line, wouldn't it? If at the end the director said, "Actually, you're all shit. I'm choosing you." <laughs> Light onto the theatre. Oh, Put a leotard on and dance, dance, dance. <laughs> it would have brought new meaning to the word singular sensation. The silicon roundabout's my favourite place To become a webpreneur would be really ace Like that awesome guy Tom Who was my first friend on MySpace We haven't kept in touch Get your foot on the ladder to online success Through Squarespace build a site and get a free web address Then hang around East London until you get hired in the US Mountain View is calling, Google have free buffet Well I know what you're thinking, Uh, such beautiful music will surely compel me to design my own website You'd be right to think that and you'd be right to head over to squarespace.com Try their 14 day free trial uh, and then if you like what you see and you want to buy a year's membership Enter the code answer to get 10% off And uh, I'd also like to say thank you very much to Squarespace for funding this episode of Answer Me This Oh yeah, yeah, they're good at that as well Have you decided what you're going to do with the money? Uh, I am going to buy myself a Vivian Westwood hat. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, that's that's going to be a bit over now. I think the backlash has started against hat. Uh, well, I can only afford it in the sale with what Squarespace is currently paying us. It'll come around again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know what? The other day I, I did a gig and um, it was expenses only. And I left before the expenses were apportioned out. So uh, the gig booker messaged me afterwards and she said, give me your address and I'll send it to you. And I said, buy a scratch cards. And if you win, split it. Hmm. Uh, she won 20 quid. No, she actually did that. Yeah. But- Who would do that? Everyone would think, oh, she said buy a scratch card. I'm keeping that fiver. But she actually did it. Yeah. Because she profited as well. She Well, yes, but she could have lost. I was willing for her to take that risk with money that I hadn't expected to get anyway. Yeah, but my point is if I was her, I don't know if I'd be willing to take that risk with money that I'd said was yours, but actually I could keep for myself. Well, anyway. Squares- well done her, well done you. Yeah, <laughs> Squarespace is not that kind of risk, by the way. You know what you're getting and it's a reasonable price for it. That's so right, yeah. be happy. Yeah, indeed. But uh, maybe I'm going to reinvest my winnings in scratch cards, what, what, and well. a cycle of doom will be perpetuated. Here's a question from Nervous Husband in Thailand. Is this definitely not spam? I can improve sexual performance with bank transfer degree Nervous husband says My pregnant wife seems to have grown a second pair of nipples just below her armpit Strong first sentence Wow I'm in It's not even finished yet Which also appeared during her first pregnancy 
along with a third set of nipples on her midriff. Wow. That's six nipples altogether. Her body is making sure that a baby can find a teat at almost <laughs> every possible angle on her torso. Very resourceful. Next one's on her nose, I think. Nervous husband says, Ollie, answer me this. What is this multi-nipple manifestation all about? Uh, it's all about the mammary ridge. Uh, which mammary Ridge. I like think I went valley camping and, there once. Yeah, exactly. just, just by uh, the Alps, isn't it? The mammary Ridge is the part of the lady going down from the breast to the groin, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of the milky pathway, really. It's the bit the milk channels through across your body, and as mm-hmm. you get pregnant, that's the bit that gets larger and more developed. And that's what leads to breasts getting larger, but sometimes, yes. and quite commonly, apparently, up to 6% of women get this. Wow, I've never heard of this before. Well, because people don't want to proudly discuss around, it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I'd imagine there are some pretty bawdy websites to devoted to this very phenomenon. Uh, apparently it can just sprout a nipple anywhere along that ridge. Amazing. Um, so your wife, nervous husband in Thailand, has actually, uh, sort of unfortunately really, this has happened to her not once but twice, I don't know what the percentage of that happening is, but it's possible it could carry on happening. But she just becomes like a whole nipple field. A nipple superhighway all the way along that ridge. And it is just to make sure that your milk is going to get to the baby, basically. That is amazing. But are they functional, though? Oh, they are. Um, but obviously it's encouraged to use your real nipples rather because there's more milk there than in the ones that are just the little stops along the way yeah it's also possible if we're being truly cronenbergian about this uh to develop an ectopic milk duct that leaks milk through your skin without any visible breast tissue or a nipple at all that's much cooler milky stigmata yeah Here's a question from James from Watford, who says, whilst browsing the internet for places to go on our upcoming holiday to Cornwall... Loads of places to go. He could go on four Ts. Yeah. I noticed that Barnoon Cemetery is number eight in TripAdvisor's list of top tourist attractions in St Ives. Mm. What are the other seven? I thought that maybe people with relatives buried there had contributed to this. Well, they and... certainly have contributed to the cemetery. <laughs> Just maybe not to the reviews yeah. on TripAdvisor. It's a big society, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that after going to... Uh, a funeral I would review the funeral service no that's just me possibly not Uh, but it seems that people have actually reviewed the cemetery as an attraction call that a grave (laughs) one star (laughs) the rides were rubbish (laughs) (laughs) one person said that they visited St Ives just to see the cemetery Another went off on a strange tangent about a James Bond-related epiphany. It's almost as if people who review things on TripAdvisor aren't necessarily the best representative of ordinary people and their experiences of things. Unbelievable. Now, I appreciate that not all of the West Country's tourist attractions can pull the crowds like Devon's Barometer World, but... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It sounds good. Devon's got it all, hasn't it? It has. Uh, But, Ollie, answer me this. Do people really go to cemeteries on holiday? Uh, well, <laughs> saga holidays is borderline <laughs> or just you know when you're dead you sometimes tell the grandkids don't you they've got away on holiday for a, for a time holiday with god like when they wrote marlene out of neighbors yeah. she's, she's gone on a cruise <laughs> yeah. um but yeah some people some people do do go to to cemeteries on holiday a lot of people go to Père Lachaise uh, cemetery in paris don't they to see the famous graves james oh, morrison yeah. yes oscar wilde we've talked about that before not james morrison the young singer songwriter no, that's d- still alive jim as in jim. from the doors oh you're yeah. on you're on formal name terms <laughs> um but uh, I, in fact I, until this question came out I hadn't really sort of remembered this myself but mm. I've been to a cemetery on, on holiday uh, I, I mean it wasn't the destination it wasn't the reason yeah. we went but I've been to the old Jewish cemetery in Prague uh, which is one of the major sort of tourist highlights of a, a trip around the old city there it's because you've got 12,000 tombstones there all wow. crammed into one tiny little city block 
Jesus. Um, so you've got them going from the 15th to, I think, the 19th century. Um, and they're all on top of each other, like at slanty angles and stuff. And what's amazing, obviously, is despite the Holocaust and the fact that all the Jews were taken away, they still have this Jewish graveyard with all the all the sort of very Jewish-looking graves with the Stars of David and stuff. Mm. So that's fascinating. And it's all around the old synagogue and things. And that is hugely popular with tourists. Yeah, and also people go to the graves in, on the North French coast. Yes, of course, World. indeed. Yeah, exactly. And they'd see that more as... Um, I guess a historic trip to Normandy rather than a trip around a grave, but that's what it is. But there are there are um, a number of cemeteries in London that I would encourage tourists to go to: um, Nunhead, Highgate, um, West Norwood, Stoke Newington. They're all really beautiful cemeteries. Yeah. And what is it about a cemetery though that you would choose to use the word beautiful to describe? You've because... got fancy catacombs, the ones that are like little buildings, maybe a celebrity corpse. Um, nice hill. Yeah, a nice setting. Good view. Yeah. But a lots bit morbid, you'd admit. Sometimes on holiday, it's not all sweetness and light, Ollie. No, but you're aware, aren't you, that there's lots of dead people underneath you? Yeah, but then, to be honest, a lot of places where you're walking in a city used to be a cemetery anyway. Yeah, that's true. Actually, a stunning one that I went to, again, forgotten about it till literally this conversation right now, uh, but just two years ago, I went to Stirling Cemetery in Scotland. Mm. And, uh, you know, actually, I I went to have um, a spaghetti in an Italian restaurant that was rated very well on TripAdvisor, as it happens in the local shopping mall. Uh, But whilst I was there... You got uh, lost. (laughs) I went through... Yeah, I got lost. And I went through Stirling Cemetery, and it was swathed in fog and very atmospheric. Brilliant. And also, I've considered as well, when I was in Los Angeles, um, and in the end, I think I was right to choose the Warner Brothers studio tour over it, um, but I'd considered <laughs> going to uh, Forest Lawn. Yes, who's buried there? What's, Forest, what's Forest Lawn? Where all the it's uh, Betty Davis, Liberace. Oh right, okay. yeah. I bet Liberace's got a fancy tomb. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Venetian glass mosaic apparently as well. Mm. I, actually, I bet the burial grounds in places like Venice are pretty remarkable to see. So yes, I think what we're saying is. It's pretty common for people to go to cemeteries, although not boring, ugly ones, like the ones that are around the modern crematorium. No, I think that's it. They need to have a special feature. And in yeah. fact, another one that I've seen online that I'm intrigued by, if I ever go, is La Coraletta in Buenos Aires, uh, which is where Eva Peron's buried. So mm-hmm. Celebrity Corpse, got that, tick yep. that. Mm. Bam. Uh, but also, uh, amongst the various different carved mausoleums, there is a sculpture of a bride who died in an avalanche on her honeymoon. Ooh. And the sculpture depicts the person who's who's buried there that's uh that's unusual yeah i slightly discount TripAdvisor and their rankings of top tourist attractions anyway yes uh, for two reasons uh, one is i think you have to remember what motivates people to post a review in the first place it's either unbelievable adulation or red hot rage and in a context of they think other people haven't remarked upon this mm. you know no one's ever going to say that Claridge's is the best because people know Claridge's is a good hotel. Well, when you say no one's ever going to, no. I bet people do quite regularly. Sure, but comparatively, people are more likely to say this four-star hotel that's half the price of everywhere else is surprisingly really good and mm. underrated. So then when you look at attractions, I think you get a slightly skewed list because people mm. don't say the Tower of London's amazing. The other reason why I don't trust them is because the geographical groupings. So, uh, you know, let's take um, Slough, for example. Okay. Um, Slough is very near Windsor. You That's know. right. If you're a tourist, you might not realise that. A lot of people who are staying in a, you know, three-star modest motorway-style hotel in Slough are staying there because they can't afford to stay in Windsor. Or because the hotel had Windsor in the name. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but they're staying there because they want to go and see Eton and they want to go and see Windsor Castle and they want to go to Legoland, but they can't yep. afford Windsor, right? But if you go on the Slough page of TripAdvisor and say, what are the top attractions? It's not going to come up with Windsor Castle and Legoland. Mm. It's going to come up with, mm. like, you know, a local arcade centre. And that's because that is in Slough. But actually, the point is Slough is near Windsor. That's why you're there. So I think there's always that skewing going on as well. Hmm. Yeah. So there you go. That might be well, why. Because like, if you're in St. Ives, 
top attractions in St Ives technically might be in Penzance, if you see what I mean. You might be there for the general area of the beautiful beaches around Cornwall. And yet you say, what's the best thing in St Ives? There might not be that much listed. So I think in summation, you're saying TripAdvisor creates more problems than it solves. Oh, yeah, but I love it. Yes. I love those problems. Spent hours <laughs> trying to resolve those problems. Yeah. It's a modifiable unit area problem, isn't it, really? Yes, that's what I said. But what does that mean when I said it? Well, it's a ge- geographical conundrum that uh, just the geographical areas you consider skew the uh, data that you're collecting and you might it might actually give you patterns that don't exist or obscure patterns which do exist well it's not going to get better than that this show so let's bring this to a close but <laughs> if you want to plan a holiday for yourself and you don't want to just rely on TripAdvisor uh, you will of course want to listen to our hour-long special album Answer Me This Holiday I'm not sure that's going to be much help in planning a holiday well we talk about various destinations in it you know I, I internationally there's Italy in there we I, talk about stuff in the USA I think if you're not on holiday it might feel a little bit like you are on holiday for the hour that you're listening to it in oh yeah well that's yeah. a good reason as well anyway that's available on answermethisstore.com but uh, if you want to send us a question for future episodes of the show or find us on Twitter or Facebook or anything then all of those contact details are on our website answermethispodcast.com also on our website is written content so if you're thinking they've never featured my email on the show perhaps it is there mmm mm. So do pair to visit and do check out our sponsors squarespace.com and do return in a fortnight's time for Answer Me This 297. Do it! Bye! Bye.